Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. On the line with us is our old buddy Alex Lawson, the executive director of Social Security Works, the owner, host, and producer over at We Act Radio in Washington, D.C., our D.C. affiliate. SocialSecurityWorks.org is the website. A-Law202 is Alex's Twitter handle, as well as SS Works. Alex, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Tom. I wanted to talk to you about two different things today, Alex, if we may. First of all, or actually second, we'll get to that in just a second. I want to find out what the state of the war against Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid by the Republican Party is. But first, you know, it's been said before, I think it's almost self-evident that probably the strongest ad out there right now for Medicare for All are the news stories about this coronavirus. Can you break that down and distill it and present it as a as a cogent argument that people can take and carry into their conversations with others? Tom, I can try. <laughs> you tell me, though. So I think the starting point that everyone should just recognize, and I think we all know this, is that even when everything is kind of right and set up correctly, it's still hard to have people do the right thing often when it comes to their health and especially when it comes to scary things around their health. Meaning that even if you have freely accessible health care or universal testing for the virus that causes COVID-19, which I'll just call COVID-19, people still don't run to get tested because there's a sort of human, a humanness here. It's fear. It's scary. It's a pandemic. The news is hitting us from all sides, and it really, really means that people sort of retreat away from this. Well, and going to the doctor's office is not something people do for recreation. Exactly. That's what I mean. Even if it was all set up so that you could just show up, get tested, get treatment if you need it, it's still actually hard to get people to do that because taking care of our health is a scary thing sometimes. So in the midst of a pandemic, I would say it's sort of all the time. So add on to that the fact that, oh, if you go to the doctor's office, you might owe some astronomical amount of money if you find out you are sick or there aren't any tests right now because our broken system, it's not broken, it just is not a healthcare system, does not actually have any incentive set up to find this bug, to identify how widespread uh, the epidemic in the U.S. is. And, you know, that's what we're looking at. Even if we did have those tests and, you know, some people have insurance, that's true. Even if the U.S. government tells the insurers that they have to make sure that they're providing treatment or access, we still have tens of millions of people who don't have insurance. We have tens of millions of people who interact with basically the entire population of this country every day that we rely on for the functioning of this country. The folks who make our food, the folks who serve food, the folks who make things with their hands, teachers, the people who look after children. We are not able to actually address infectious disease like COVID-19 unless everybody 
is able to get tested and get treatment. And then I'll just kind of end this piece with, even if testing was universal, but someone didn't have insurance and it was unclear that they would get the care that they need, or if they did, that it wouldn't bankrupt their family or themselves, you are going to see people who are not going to find out. They're not going to go and get tested because they don't want to know, because in their minds, what's the point of knowing if there's no treatment option or if the treatment option means that they're going to bankrupt themselves or their family? Our system is perfectly set up to not address a pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. And then and then you've got the situation of this guy down in Florida that's gotten a fair amount of publicity. Um, he actually had contact with somebody who had been diagnosed with coronavirus, and therefore um, he qualified under the CDC guidelines, these very, very strict guidelines when, you know, uh, a few days ago when the United States only had 1,500 test kits for the entire country uh, to be tested. And so he went to the local hospital. His doctor said, go, you know, present yourself at the ER. He went to the ER. They did the test on him. It came back negative. He went back home, and three days later, he gets a bill for $3,600 in the mail. And that does not yet include the cost of the emergency room. This was just the doctor and the ambulance to get him there and or whatever it was. I mean, it, this, this is only the partial bill. And his insurance, he's got an Obamacare policy with a $5,000 deductible, so he's got to pay it. And that news story is everywhere, right? Yeah. So people see that news story and they say, well, I don't I don't have $3,600 sitting on the side, right? We know that the vast majority of people don't even have $400 uh, banked for an emergency. Yeah. Uh, and so that is going to make it almost impossible to get the testing at the scale that we need to address a pandemic. So let's flip over to the reality Uh, that we want to build where you have a Medicare for all system, right? Where everybody has access uh, to all the uh, uh, diagnostic tests and the treatment if they need it, right? Even in that system, addressing a pandemic would be hard, but we would be able to uh, eliminate people who uh, eliminate the idea that you shouldn't get tested because you can't afford the treatment if you test positive. People would get the care that they need. Also, In one system, the data that would be coming in, because there's only a single payer, and it's not a bunch of corporations trying to profit off of each other by siloing their data uh, and monetizing it and financializing it. It's actually the data is all being used for public health reasons. We could find those hotspots. We could identify them before the epidemic Uh, you know, in a a localized epidemic spreads. Just imagine the difference. Right now, it's literally operating in the dark. The federal government can kind of throw out some money incentives, but it's relying on a completely fractured system of businesses who are all competing against each other. So that is not a system that is set up to address a pandemic of a novel uh, bug like we're seeing with COVID-19. Right. Providing health care is not like making cars, but we're using the for-profit competitive system of making cars to provide health care, and it's insane. We're talking to Alex Lawson. He's the executive director of Social Security Works, socialsecurityworks.org. So, Alex, what is the state of the, the current state of the Republican war on Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. I know in Trump's last budget, which he dropped, what, a month ago or so for next year, that that budget has multi-billion dollar cuts to all three of these programs. Um, But in addition to that, what else is going on? And and maybe you have some specific details about that. I mean, close to a trillion dollars out of Medicaid, right? Like, that's the vision that his budget has devastating cuts to Medicare, devastating cuts to Social Security. Uh, But we also know that that's his blueprint. Um, That budget is not actually going to be enacted. Uh, But what we are seeing in the the rulemaking side, which is completely under his control, uh, the rulemaking all happens in the executive, is this sustained and continuous assault on Social Security like we've never seen before. Um, and it's just grind. I, I, I can't tell you how sort of heartbreaking slash just enraging. I get emails and messages and they're from people who are terrified, terrified because they're following along and they're w- wondering, they're asking me, like, is the Trump administration going to rip my benefits away? Because I just don't know if I can survive without my disability benefits. 
that I need to literally survive. And I just got an email like this the other day and the panic and the, the, it was just so enraging that this is what the government, the U.S. government is spending their time on, is actually coming up with new and novel ways to steal the benefits of people who have earned them. Uh, so we basically, we just hit the fourth rule change. Um, and I don't want to go too deep into the, the weeds on it, but what they're doing is they're just making it harder and harder to not only qualify to get Social Security benefits, but also once a person gets them, they're coming up with ways to take them away from them. And we're sort of, I've used the Avenger, um, the Avenger movies metaphor. Uh, we're coming up on the end game here. There is one giant rule change coming up. It's shorthanded uh, grids, but we're working on how to actually tell people exactly how it works. But the end of it is to just massively restrict the ability from, of the American people to access their earned benefits. Um, and it's all being done in this really sort of uh, below-the-radar way. And it's at the same time that you know people are going to be needing their benefits more as we're facing this economic turmoil from the pandemic, uh, but they're still pushing and doing everything they can to steal our benefits. It's just, it's sickening, Tom. Yeah, it truly is. And and for people living on Social Security disability, it's scary as hell. And and, and also, you know, Trump has uh, uh, scaled back hiring. I mean, he's done this with the IRS, too, now, to the point that the IRS is no longer auditing rich people. They can't afford to. Uh, they don't have enough people. He's uh, scaled back hiring for Social Security and Medicare, so it takes longer, uh, yep. not even disability, but it takes longer to just, you know, sign up for Social Security and Medicare. Do I understand that correctly? Absolutely. And it's not just, I mean, it's a, it's a full-scale assault. Uh, uh, David Black is the deputy commissioner, and he's basically the union buster in chief. They did it at the VA. They're about halfway through it at the Social Security Administration. It's an assault on the workers in the administration, uh, the people who have all the institutional knowledge to make this system function for the American people, which, by the way, just to say, we pay for it. None right. of the money is coming out of the general revenue for the salaries of the people who work at SSA. Uh, that's all coming out of our premiums that we pay in with our paychecks, just like our benefits. We pay for all of it. Right. And they're We're actually and, and taking they're, away. And their plan, for, forgive me, I interrupt you. We have six seconds. Their plan is to break the system so that the banksters can come exactly. in and say, we'll provide you with a, with a privatized one, just like Medicare Advantage. It'll be wonderful, right? Exactly. That's that's their game plan over and over again. They break the system and then complain that it's broken and then sell it off to their cousins on Wall Street. There you go. Alex Lawson, SocialSecurityWorks.org is the uh, website and ALAW202, SocialSecurityWorks.org and SSWorks. Thank you, Alex. This Thanks, is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, it's down to two, it seems. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard is still staying in the race so that she can go on Fox News and be proclaimed as a Democratic candidate for president. But setting that aside, Elizabeth Warren has announced that she is pulling out of the Democratic primary, which leaves Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. But she did not say that she was going to be endorsing either of the two remaining candidates. Bernie on Rachel Maddow's show had said that he had had a private conversation with her and he said very nice things about her. And he said he would be very happy to consider her as, you know, a member of his administration going forward. But that's all stuff to be talked about in the future. I think he was trying to avoid saying that she was leaving the race. And he was trying to be respectful of her. So we've got that. And, you know, if you have thoughts on that, I mourn the loss of Elizabeth Warren from this race. As you know, I've not endorsed anybody, but I've said very clearly that my two favorite candidates were Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. You know, we'll see where this goes. There's a bunch of coronavirus news out there. There's science news. I want to get an update on the latest efforts by the Trump administration to slash Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid something that they've just been enthusiastically, you know, trying to do for three years now and actually have done, you know, with, with two of their last uh, two budgets, cut the staff for Social Security and Medicare so that it's harder and also cut back funding for the website and whatnot for, for Obamacare so that it's harder to get health care in the United States. As we're going into what may well be a nationwide epidemic, uh, certainly a worldwide pandemic, 
with his novel coronavirus COVID-19. It seems insane. I mean, it just genuinely seems insane. But, you know, the Republicans are doing this and they've been doing this all along. And now, I mean, this is insane in Michigan. Herman Munster this morning tweeting, Republicans in Michigan wasted $30 million trying to kick 100,000 Michigan poor off Medicaid during a pandemic. Under the previous Republican governor and Republican legislature, they still have a Republican legislature in Michigan, they now have a Democratic governor. But uh, under the previous governor and legislature, Michigan passed a law that was supposed to go into effect on the uh, 1st of January, or actually did go into effect on the 1st of January that says that uh, you no longer qualify for Medicaid, you can't get Medicaid if you don't prove to the state on a regular basis, and I don't recall if it was weekly or monthly, that you have uh, worked at least 20 hours in the previous, let me get the exact details here, you must do 20 hours per week or 80 hours per month of, quote, workforce engagement. In other words, working, going to school, applying for a job, and you have to document this. And I mean, this is just... You know, oh, you want health care? You're going to have to work for it, right? It's, it's like, you know, health care is not a human right. We're Republicans. And a federal court yesterday afternoon said no. This was a federal court in Washington, D.C. said that Michigan's Medicaid work requirements are unconstitutional. That, uh, you know, you can't tell people in order to get health care, you've got to jump through this hoop, that hoop, and the other hoop. And, you know, if you want to extend that logic, you, you know, if you're going to get health care, you shouldn't have to, you know, be able to afford to pay for it. You shouldn't have to go to work and earn enough money to pay, you know, some health insurance company. The stock market is down, by the way. Most of this is being driven by the airlines now as people are saying, I'm not going to fly and conventions and conferences are being canceled all over the United States right now. And people are afraid to get on an airplane. I mean, you know, how many thousands of people have sat on that airplane seat and handled that seatbelt before you got on it? It's just like... You know, people are getting creeped out by this. And so uh, the health insurance company stocks are still up. They really jumped quite a bit after Super Tuesday, but the airline stocks are down. And, and many of the travel stocks, cruise lines and whatnot, you got a cruise ship now blocked from landing in, off the coast of California. And it looks like two cruises in a row on that ship. They had people with coronavirus. And somebody from the previous cruise has now died. That's the first death in California. So that's going on. Meanwhile, Donald Trump tweeted, I never, in all caps, said people that are feeling sick should go to work. This is just more fake news and disinformation put out by the Democrats, in particular MSDNC. Comcast covers the coronavirus situation horribly, only looking to do harm to the incredible and successful effort being made. Yes, our dear leader, he is the great genius of all time. But he did go on Sean Hannity's show. I mean, we do have tape of this, right? Uh, you know, I'm not going to play you the tape, but I'll read to you what he said. He said, well, I think the 3.4% is a really false number. This is what the World Health Organization says. 3.4% of people who get this thing die from it. He says, I think it's a false number. No, it's just my hunch. Now, this is the president of the United States, right? The guy who's supposed to be providing us with the very best information from the very best scientists in the world. He says, but based on a lot of conversations with a lot of people, because a lot of people will have this, it's very mild, they get better rapidly, they don't even see a doctor, they don't even call a doctor, you never hear about these people, so you can't put them down in the category of the overall population in terms of this corona flu. He's calling it the corona flu. Yeah, like, you know, it's not a big deal. Well, first of all, it's not a flu virus, it's a coronavirus. But then he says, if you have, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that just get better just by, you know, sitting around and even going to work, some of them go to work, but they get better. And then when you have one death, like you have in the state of Washington, like you have in California, I believe you have one in New York, you know, all of a sudden it seems like 3 or 4% is a very high number as opposed to a fraction of 1%. Just go to work, you'll get better. This is what our dear leader is telling us. I mean, this is nuts. This is very nuts. And we have the first British coronavirus victim, actually, has described his experience. It was published over at the dailymail.co.uk. His name is Connor Reed. He's 25 years old. He was in Wuhan, China, and he came back to the UK and here day two, have a sore throat, took a mug of honey, it did the trick. Day three, I don't smoke, hardly ever drink. So I had a hot toddy, a splash of whiskey. Day four, I slept like a baby last night. Chinese whiskey is evidently a cure. This is his diary from when he was in China. 
Day five, I'm over my cold. It really wasn't anything. Day seven, I spoke too soon. I feel dreadful. This is no longer just a cold. I ache all over. My head is thumping. My eyes are burning. My throat is constricted. The cold has traveled down to my chest. I have a hacking cough. If this is the flu, it's going to take a lot more than a mug of hot honey. And then he goes to um, the next day, day seven. The symptoms hit me this afternoon like a train. And unless there's an overnight miracle, I will not be going to work tomorrow. It's not just that I feel so ill. I really don't want to give this flu to any of my colleagues. At this point, he doesn't know he has coronavirus. He thinks it's the flu. Day eight, I won't be in work today. I warned them I'll probably be off all week. Even my bones are aching. It's hard to imagine I'm going to get over this soon. Even getting out of bed hurts. I'm propped up on pillows watching TV and trying not to cough because it's too painful. Day seven, even the kitten hanging around my apartment seems to be feeling under the weather. It isn't its usual lively self, and when I put food down, it doesn't want to eat. I don't blame it. I've lost my appetite, too. Day 10, I'm still running a temperature. I finished the quarter bottle of whiskey. I don't feel well enough to go out and get any more. It doesn't matter. I don't think hot toddies are making any difference. Day 11, suddenly I'm feeling better, physically at least. The flu has lifted, but the poor kitten has died. And by the way, we now have a report out of China of a person getting the coronavirus from kissing a dog. Apparently, we can give this disease to other mammals. Well, it started out in pangolins. It started out in a mammal, or at least that's the best we know. He says, I don't know whether the cat got what I had or whether cats can even get human flu, but I feel miserable. He still thinks he has the flu. Day 12, I've had a relapse. Just as I thought the flu was getting better, it's come back with a vengeance. My breathing is labored. Just getting up and going to the bathroom leaves me panted and exhausted, panting and exhausted. I'm sweating, burning up, dizzy and shivering. Television is on, but I can't make sense of it. This is a nightmare. By this afternoon, I feel like I'm suffocating. I've never been this ill in my life. I can't take more than sips of air. And when I breathe out, my lungs sound like a paper bag being crumbled up. This is not right. I need to see a doctor. But if I call the emergency services, I'll have to pay for the ambulance out call myself. That's going to cost a fortune. I'm ill, but I don't think I'm dying. Am I? Surely I can survive a taxi journey. I decide to go to Zhongnan University Hospital because there are plenty of foreign doctors there studying. Isn't rational, but in my feverish state, I want to see a British doctor. My Mandarin's pretty good. It's a 20-minute ride. Day 13, I arrive back in my apartment. So he takes a taxi late yesterday evening. The doctor prescribed antibiotics for the pneumonia, but I'm reluctant to take them. I'm worried my body will become resistant to the drugs. It helps simply knowing this is pneumonia. I'm 25. Now, see, this was early on. Day 14, boil a kettle, add tiger balm, towel over the head, breathe for an hour, repeat. Day 15, all the days are now blurring into one. Day 16, I phoned my mother in Australia. No point in calling her before now. She'd just worry. Day 17, I'm feeling slightly better. Day 18, my lungs no longer sound like bundles of broken twigs. Day 19, I'm well enough to stagger out of doors to buy more tiger balm. My nose is cleared enough to smell my neighbors are cooking. Day 22, hoping to be back to work today, but no such luck. The pneumonia has gone, but now I ache as if I've been run over by a steamroller. My sinuses are agony and my eardrums feel ready to pop. I know I shouldn't, but I'm massaging my inner ear with cotton buds trying to take away the pain. Day 24, hallelujah, I think I'm better. Day 36 is when he's starting to actually feel better and they figure out that he had the coronavirus. This was the first British guy to get it, 25 years old. So that seems to be the course of the disease. We'll continue the conversation about this, about Trump, about Warren. Renee in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Renee, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? Hey, Tom, how are you this morning? I am alive and kicking, Renee, and thanking God that I haven't gotten the coronavirus. Knock wood. Uh, what's on your mind? All right, so I've got a concept that I want to throw out. According to history, a past president can serve as a vice president. Is the smart thing uh, for Biden, would the smart thing for him to do would be to ask Barack to be his vice president? I think if he did that, he would have this thing in the bag tomorrow morning. But I don't have any idea if Mr. Obama, President Obama, would have any interest in coming back into the White House. And and also Michelle, you'd have the problem. And, and he always said that Michelle had a bad attitude about how they treated her. Yeah. The problem, there's actually a practical problem with that, Renee, and that is that the vice presidency is generally considered the launching pad for the presidency. And this is why so many people think, including myself, that Trump is going to dump Pence because nobody wants to vote mm -hmm. for Pence for anything. And that's fairly obvious. And pick up Nikki Haley, who actually, mm -hmm. you know, is 
fairly popular in Republican circles. Uh, I don't but they, her. but the right, I agree. But the Constitution says, or the amendment to the Constitution says, the one after Franklin Roosevelt that the Republicans pushed through during the Eisenhower years. This amendment to the Constitution says that no one can serve more than eight years, two terms as president. And, and president, but what I read, okay, so go back and Google it. This is why I brought this up because I did pretty good in history sometimes. Mm-hmm. It says that a president can ask a past president to be his vice president, and it's already been done four times. Yeah, he can, and it has happened. You're right. But my point is that Joe Biden is, what, 77 years old? And odds are he's not going to be running for a second term. He'd be 83, 82, something like that. And so his Mm -hmm. vice presidential pick is going to be the person that you want teed up to be the Democratic candidate in 2024. And if it's Obama, he can't run again. That's true. So, right. so that would argue well, I for... Tried. Yeah, I tried. I tried to come a, up with a solution. It's a good idea. I, you know, what I would say is, you know, number one, you know, if Joe Biden wants to, you know, get some love from President Obama, he needs his endorsement. Or he needs to say, you know, I want to bring President Obama back as a special advisor, or I want him to be in my cabinet, or, mm-hmm. you know, something like mm-hmm. that. And, you know, he's oh, been... So, both he he, so he can... What if he made Obama the Secretary General? Yeah, he could the, the, the attorney general or, you know, which which would be appropriate for Obama. He was a law professor. He's a lawyer. He's a constitutional he law scholar. He would make a great attorney general. He would make a great, frankly, I think pretty much anything. He's, you know, he did a, a good job as president, particularly given what he had to work with, with Mitch McConnell obstruct, obstructing absolutely everything. But probably just the endorsement is going to do it. And now that it's down to a two-person race. We'll see. I mean, you know, we're hearing, you know, from back channels that Obama doesn't like Bernie, but whether he's going to, you know, Bernie said that Obama told him on the phone a couple of weeks ago, he's going to wait mm-hmm. until there's a nominee and then he's going to endorse and then he's going to go all in for the nominee. So uh, Obama so far apparently is not putting his thumb on the scale. Well, you know, and you can argue whether that's a good thing. Thanks so much. Okay. It was a concept. I tried. Yeah, you tried. It's, good- keep thinking, Renee. That's a good one. That's a very good one. Thanks a lot for the call. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's, or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So I mentioned that the, uh, the first British patient to get the flu, uh, his cat died uh, during his, or not the flu, this is, this is what Trump is calling it, the corona flu, the coronavirus, the novel coronavirus, COVID-19. I was calling it the Wuhan virus, and, and I kind of got slapped down for that by a scientist saying, we don't want to stigmatize any region. But, you know, really, if Wuhan had not had an open-air animal market, which they should have banned after SARS back in 2003, then this never would have happened or probably wouldn't have happened. So, you know, I'm, I'm ambivalent about all that. But in any case, you know, I mentioned that this guy's cat died. And here it says, Hong Kong authorities have warned people to avoid kissing their pets. This is from The Guardian today. Hong Kong authorities have warned people to avoid kissing their pets, but also not to panic and abandon them after a dog repeatedly tested a week positive for coronavirus. The Hong Kong Agriculture, Fisheries and Conservation Department said experts unanimously agreed that the results suggested the dog had, quote, a low level of infection and it is likely to be a case of human to animal transmission. It was a Pomeranian owner. The owner was infected with COVID-19. The dog was not showing symptoms, but they checked the dog. They're checking everybody in China now. And sure enough, that dog had the virus. So there we go. Speaking of science, Donald Trump, first he started approving pesticides that the entire scientific community agreed are destructive to the nervous system of young children and can cause cancer. Then he dialed back on pollution rules from fossil fuel processors in ways that will increase cancer and lung disease in the United States. In both cases, Trump was able to ignore science in changing these rules because Republicans are saying that any science that uses public health data where the names of every single person included in the study have not been published should not be used. I mean, this is bizarre and anti-scientific, but this is what the Trump administration is doing. And now it appears that they want to use the same logic with the coronavirus, which is terrifying. These anti-science policies. Here's how it works. This was on Super Tuesday. The Environmental Protection Agency did a news dump. Rebecca Liebert uh, tweeted this, an incredible news dump by EPA this evening. After delays, EPA just moved forward its most controversial proposal of the Trump administration, limiting science and medical data that can be used by the agency. This is under a policy that uh, Scott Pruitt put into effect two years ago in 2018, officially called the Strengthen Transparency and Regulatory Science Guidelines. So here's how it works. We know, for example, from this nurses study of you know, a couple hundred thousand nurses over the last 40 years that smoking causes lung cancer. Well, what under this new policy of the Trump administration, this Republican policy, if the name of every nurse in that study is not published, then the information from that study cannot be used to make law or policy. So basically, all epidemiological studies, all the studies that we've done, oh, we've got a large population of people who are living downwind from one of, the, one of the Koch brothers' refineries, and they seem to be getting cancer. If you don't publish the names of every single person, and of course, they're always anonymous. This is medical information. If you don't publish the name of every single person, you may not use that information to make law or policy. This is blowing up science. And now they want to apply this to epidemiological information that has to do with the coronavirus so that Donald Trump can continue to say, oh, it's less than 1%. It's just the flu. And just, you know, people go to work and they get better. Like he said on Sean Hannity, like he's lying through his teeth and denying on Twitter that he didn't say it. Jeff Tiedrich tweeting back, Lordy, there's tapes. Yes, there are. At the very moment we, we most need good science, we have an administration that is going after science with a meat axe. 
For several weeks now, I've been trying to walk a very, very careful line between, on the one hand, telling what I think is the truth, that this is a, a serious and deadly disease. 80% of the people who get it only have mild symptoms, but some people who do get it do get really sick, and some of them die. I mean, you know, we're just, on the one hand, telling the truth, and on the other hand, not inciting panic. I mean, there is no reason to panic right now. There are a lot of good reasons to be very, very careful to be washing your hands constantly, especially if you go out in public, if you're using public transportation, if you're in the backseat of an Uber car where you know 30 people before you have, or maybe 300 people before you have opened that door handle. After you handle that door handle, go wash your hands for 30 seconds instead of 20 seconds. If you're on a public bus, if you're on an airplane, I mean, these are, this is common sense stuff. This is not panic. This is reasonable common sense stuff. And I just, you know, I want to lay that out. But that said, and three weeks ago, I, I said, you know, this is coming. This is coming. And this was before it was like a big deal in the United States. I said, there's no way we're going to keep it out of this country. We don't know if it's here or not because the Trump administration has been blocking the test kits. We had 1,500 test kits for the entire United States up until yesterday. I don't know what the number is today. And the only way to get tested was to prove that you had just been in Wuhan, China, or you had had contact with somebody who was sick, which, you know, was silly, was stupid. I mean, this is, this is the Trump administration knowing four months in advance and doing absolutely nothing, not a damn thing about it, and now trying to lie about it. But on the other hand, I was saying three weeks ago, you know, it looks like if you're exposed or if you think you might have been exposed or somebody in your building has it, maybe you need to work from home for two weeks. You need to stay home for two weeks. You need to basically self-quarantine just in case you get the symptoms. You don't want to be spreading it around. On the other hand, if it's in your building, you don't want to be going back there either. So, you know, stock a couple of weeks worth of food. That's all I was saying, right? Simple stuff and get stuff you're going to eat anyway. I love rice and beans. So, you know, we bought a couple of cases of beans and, and five pounds of rice or whatever it was. You know, Louise took care of that. We'll eat this stuff over the next six months, whether we quarantine or not. But, you know, if we can't go out of the house for two weeks, we've got food, we've got enough uh, Advil to, to make it through, you know, because if you do get this, you're going to want to deal with fevers. We've got enough Gaiafenacin, that's the stuff that helps with coughs. We've got enough dextromethorphan hydrobromide, I think it is, DM, the DM in uh, Robitussin DM. You can, we actually bought capsules so you don't have to drink all those god-awful chemicals that are in the cough syrups. But we just got enough in the event that both of us are sick, we can get through it. And, you know, in a brand new fever thermometer, just simple stuff. No need to panic, but this is prudent. This is, this is not prepper crazy, it's just prudent. And so I, you know, I know I told the story last week that Louise went to the local Target and the toilet paper, paper towels, bottled water, and a lot of the canned goods were just absolutely sold out. Campbell's Soup is one of the few stocks that's actually up. I think it was up 10% because people are doing what I just suggested. And Nigel, one of our two webmasters, Nigel deals with our, the content side of our web stuff and also uh, all the stuff that's going on with Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. Nigel lives in the UK. Nigel is an old and one of my oldest and dearest friends. Uh, we have literally been uh, business partners and working together since the uh, 19, late 1970s or early 1980s. Great guy. And he just sent us a couple of pictures from the UK. And I'm not sure what city he's in right now. Nigel's been, been traveling around the UK quite a bit lately. But these photos are of the dried goods, the rice and pasta store. And the other one is the uh, toilet paper and paper towels uh, shelves in his store, his local store in the United Kingdom. If you're listening to me on the radio and not watching us on TV, basically the shelves were empty. And so you know, that's happening. Right. And if you want to buy Purell on Amazon, it's 50 bucks a bottle or for two bottles. I mean, it's just it's kind of crazy. So and, but I think, that, you know, a lot of this is going to recover and we're going to get a little more rational about it. But now we've got this new story. This just, you know, went up over on Daily Kos from Kerry Eveld or Eleveld. When the Trump administration was struggling to resolve problems with coronavirus testing kits a couple weeks ago, the FDA sent out one of their top scientists. Hey, we're going to help you, CDC. We've got a guy who knows all about this stuff. And by the way, sure enough, when he finally got there, he found that there were issues of lab contamination that were tainting the test kits, which is why they weren't working. But 
When he got to the CDC, they made him cool his heels for 24 hours before they let him in. Why? God only knows. Apparently, it had to do with security protocols of the CDC. But, you know, it's just more evidence that the Trump administration just doesn't give a rat's ass about science or yeah, and, and is trying to cover up their just screaming, flaming incompetence in all this. Jason in Winter Haven, Florida. Hey, Jason, what's on your mind today? Yes, and you're absolutely right about that, Tom. Thank you for having me on. I had to turn to my twin brother who covers stuff about environment and things like that, and he just said, look, the Spanish flu had a higher rate of mortality rate than the coronavirus. And, you know, anything out of Trump or these Republicans, they're anti-science, so I don't trust what they say. So I think the media's hyping the heck out of it. And Sam, thank you so much for that story that, that you gave, you know, about that young man. You know, mm-hmm. thank you so much for there are people surviving this. Thank you. Oh, the majority of people mm-hmm. survive it. Yeah. And some of them get fairly yep. seriously sick like that kid did. And uh, some of them end up in the hospital on a respirator. It looks like it's uh, maybe as much as 15 percent, certainly in the neighborhood of five to 10 percent. Again, these statistics are all over the place because we've got, you know, some countries where there's a lot of testing going on, like South Korea and China. And some countries where there's virtually no testing going on, like the United States. So the statistics are, you know, it looks like we've got a, you know, a 30 percent death rate in, in, in Washington state. Well, no, that's just because they don't have the damn test kits because Trump never planned for it. So but it seems that this three percent number that the World Health Organization is putting out, even though Donald Trump mm-hmm. is lying through his teeth and saying it's less than one percent, that that number is probably accurate. Maybe it's going to end up being around two percent when we have really widespread testing. But, you know, China has now tested over what? In fact, hang on just a second. I can give you the the exact numbers. I actually have them here. Uh, 96,000. China, ha- mainland China has tested 80,000 people. South Korea has ch- tested 6,000 people. Iran has tested 3,500 people. Italy has t- tested 3,000 people. Germany has tested 440 people. The United States, the entire United States, coast to coast, we've tested 162 people so far. Oh, gosh. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's insane. It's just plain old insane. I mean, this is Trump should have been on this two months ago, but instead he was too busy tweeting about God only. I can't even remember what crazy crap he was tweeting about. Jason, I got to move along, but thank you. Boy, a lot going on in the world today, isn't it? Just a fascinating time to be alive. I am. I'm excited. We have daylight savings time this weekend. And so we're all going to be tired because we lose an hour of sleep. And (laughs) why don't we do something about this? I mean, you know, yeah, we've got, I mean, obviously we have bigger health emergencies, but every year in the spring when everybody loses an hour of sleep, the hospital emergency rooms report that accident, car accidents go up, fatalities from car accidents go up, and heart attacks go up. Because people get an hour's less sleep. It's like jet lag. And jet lag, you know, for people who are vulnerable, you know, who have a little bit of heart disease or whatever, uh, boom, you know, it's not good stuff. So anyway, (laughs) enough of my rant on that. And I will get to to your calls in just a few minutes. There are a few things I wanted to share with you, though, that I think are are, uh, real and problematic. The Trump administration last month issued their budget which, if it's accepted by Congress, would take effect in October of this year, which is when the next fiscal year begins. And it would cut the CDC's budget by 15%. It would cut the Department of Health and Human Services by 10%. It would cut uh, 53% of our funding to the World Health Organization and 75% cut to the Pan American Health Organization, which is North, North, Central, and South America. You know, brilliant stuff. Meanwhile, A local TV station, this is KCTV in Fairway, Kansas, decided that they would see if Kansas and Missouri have COVID-19 testing kits, right? Hey, you know, what's the situation here in Kansas and Missouri? So on Thursday, KCTV 5 News made multiple phone calls to health department agencies. And what they found was, well, here, the KCTV's Abigail James spoke to the health departments for Jackson County, Johnson County, and Kansas City. For Missouri, the entire state is going to be allowed by the Trump administration to have a maximum of five kits, and they have not yet arrived. 
Yeah, seriously. On TV this morning, we had a whole press conference with Trump and Alex Azar, and Azar is going, hey, you know, next week we're going to have 75,000 testing kits. Uh, where are they going to go? Well, five of them are going to go to the state of Missouri. Maybe. Next week. They found that when they finally are available, that, quote, larger cities will get a total of five kits, smaller cities will get a total of two kits. Each kit, of course, can only be used for one patient. The Kansas City Health Department said they'll be receiving their five kits very soon. Isn't that exciting news? Meanwhile, you've got 2,500 passengers. Trump this morning was saying 5,000. It's 2,500 passengers and in the neighborhood of 1,000 crew members on this uh, Grand Princess ship off the coast of California. Sadly for Princess Cruise Lines, this is the second cruise ship that has gotten the coronavirus, and they were both Princess Cruise Lines. The other one was stuck in Yokohama in Japan for a while. But at least 21 people, 11 passengers and 10 crew members, are already showing symptoms of having an active case of this disease. And keep in mind, you can be contagious for up to two weeks before you show any symptoms. And so the CDC or the Trump administration or whatever, they airdropped using a helicopter test kits onto this cruise ship. Now, you'd expect that they would drop, you know, 3,500 test kits, right? Because there's roughly 3,500 people on the cruise ship, 2,500 passengers and around 1,100 crew. But no, they only uh, dropped 150, I think it was 154, 145, something like that. Uh, Certainly fewer than 200 test kits. Why? Well, because, you know, the Trump administration only had four months to get ready for this. I mean, they've been, they've been testing people in China since, since January, since, uh, actually since December. They've been, you know, South Korea has done 200,000 tests. I mean, it's, it's, it's just mind-boggling. It's just mind-boggling. Community clinics. This is an amazing story. You need to know about this. And you need to be calling your members of Congress about this at 202-225-3121. There are 11,000 community health centers across the United States. The only, these, are, these are local facilities. One of my kids worked in one of these places for a year or so while she was working on, on getting her physician's assistant, you know, completing college and getting her license and all that stuff. And the one here in Portland that she worked at serves the homeless people. And there are 11,000 of these across the country. They serve 29 million people every year. And they are only there because that was the cost of Bernie Sanders' vote for the Obamacare program. He said, you will fund 10,000, at least 10,000 health clinics across the country, or I won't vote for the Obamacare program. And Obama put this into the bill. The problem was it was only funded for a couple of years. And it's going to run out soon. The clinics are currently staring over a fiscal cliff. This is Michael Ludwig over at Truthout. On May 22nd, a stopgap measure temporarily extended federal funding to community health centers. If lawmakers don't act before this deadline on May 22nd, these things could disappear. As was put into the 2010 Affordable Care Act legislation, in 2018, Congress extended the funding for two years to 2020. So it's been covered by t- for 10 years. And progressives in Congress are asking to extend the funding for five years. Why not make it permanent? I mean, this, this, is the front, this is your front line against coronavirus. One of the most vulnerable populations out there are homeless people. People who have you know, very little access to health care. And these community health centers are basically it. And then you know, low-wage people, the other very vulnerable population, are low-wage people in the gig economy who are working but are working without any kind of benefits. They have no health insurance. What do they do? Well, they go to these community health centers. Meanwhile, 2019, last year, was the worst year ever for closing rural hospitals. Why? Because Medicaid expansion keeps rural hospitals open, and states like Texas have refused Medicaid expansion. There are 453 rural hospitals across the United States right now that are on the edge of closing. 19 shut down last year. Between 2016 and 2017, 34 hospitals shut down. Since 2010, 120, since the Affordable Care Act was passed, 120 rural hospitals have closed with uh, Texas, Tennessee, and Oklahoma leading the way. All of these in states that have refused Medicaid expansion 
where Republicans don't want people to have health insurance. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Meanwhile, the Australian National University did some computer modeling based on the uh, Spanish flu epidemic, which was their most severe epidemic model. They say the death toll from this coronavirus would be 68 million people worldwide. Best case scenario, which is if we start aggressive testing and quarantining people who might have been exposed and, and we can stop this or at least slow it down substantially, Best case, 15 million people die around the world. And that was their study. So, of course, CNBC's Rick Santelli. Remember Rick Santelli back in 2008 when the stock market was starting to collapse? Rick Santelli went on TV and he said, this is because of Jimmy Carter's law against redlining. That, you know, he, he was forcing banks to loan to people in communities that had been redlined previously. And he said, uh, you know, people don't have a right to a mortgage. We need a tea party in America. Remember that? He said, we need a tea party. It was Rick Santelli. He's the guy who kicked off the tea party with his rant on CNBC that went viral. Well, he's got a new rant. He says, maybe we'd be better off if we gave the coronavirus to everybody. And then in a month, it would just be over because the mortality rate probably isn't going to be any different if we did it that way than the long-term picture. But the difference is we're wreaking havoc on global and domestic economies. Now, first of all, number one, as time goes on, 
We will develop vaccines as time goes on. We will figure out which of the dozen or so antiviral drugs out there in the marketplace actually work against this because we're doing these tests and studies. South Korea is doing them. Japan is doing them. China is doing them. We're starting to get information. So the death rate will go down, but probably not for a year. Not until we've had an opportunity to really crunch the data. But Santelli says, uh, oh, my God, have you seen Delta's stock? <laughs> you know, I mean, he didn't literally say that, but I mean, that was the essence of what he was saying. So, yeah, so, you know, 10 million Americans, 3.4% death rate, 10 million Americans die. You know, it'll get the stock market back to normal. Okay, I got a lot of other news here we'll get to as we go through the day. Actually, I'm going to hit a break right now, and when we come back from the break, I'll start picking up your phone calls here on the Tom Harbin program. The insane incompetence of this administration is breathtaking. Trump has known for five months, four months anyway, for sure, that there was a good chance this virus was coming. And what did he do? He closed the viral pandemic departments in the Department of Homeland Security and the, uh, hang on just a second. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And the National Security Agency and called for massive cuts in the budgets of all these agencies, including the Centers for Disease Control. Brilliant. We got a brain, a real brain here running our country. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is uh, by Joy Ann Reed. It's titled The Man Who Sold America. This is from the introduction titled Welcome to Gotham. To truly understand Donald Trump, you need to have lived in New York City in the 1980s and 90s when his businesses and marital escapades were a tabloid staple. Or maybe you just need to have grown up on Batman. Gotham City, which the brooding billionaire Bruce Wayne polices as his vigilante alter ego, is an exaggerated dystopian send-up of old New York. It's filled with over-the-top villains who, like Batman, possess no actual superpowers, but get by on their cleverness, their ostentatious wealth, and their ability to wreak havoc on the urban landscape. Donald Trump seems ripped right out of that comic book supervillain universe. With his cantilever hairstyle, weirdly long signature neckties, bizarre syntax, and penchant for slapping his surname on anything he's connected with, from buildings and golf courses to bottled water board games and, for a time, a sham university that promised anyone could learn to be just like the Donald, Trump and the cast of characters surrounding him could fit right in with Joker, Riddler, Penguin, and Lex Luthor. Trump has existed on the outskirts of American celebrity and popular culture for the lifespans of most Americans under the age of 40. He made cameos in movies like Home Alone 2 and on TV shows such as The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. He was in the guest chair on The Phil Donahue Show and The Oprah Winfrey Show, and he performed mock fights with World Wrestling Entertainment Chairman Vince McMahon on multiple episodes of WrestleMania. He even pretended to buy WWE's lucrative Monday Night Raw franchise in an elaborate ruse in 2009, which tanked the entertainment company's stock price, prompting Trump to quickly pretend to sell it back for twice the price. Despite his history of housing discrimination against black tenants and his full ad in the 1980s, full-page ad in the 1980s calling for a group of black and brown teenagers to be put to death for, the, for a gang rape they didn't commit, Trump managed to work his way into popular mainstream, mainstream popular culture. Early on, he was a tabloid-friendly rogue and celebrity hanger-on, and later the king of the B-list stars who jockeyed for his approval on Celebrity Apprentice. Had he not signed on to the racist birther conspiracy claiming that America's first black president, Barack Obama, was not born in the United States, and plunged headfirst into the morass of anti-immigrant xenophobia that helped him win the presidency, the old Donald Trump might have carried on. He may have remained a cultural gadfly, that peculiar brand of celebrity whose views on everything from geopolitics to the Oscars are sought out for no particular reason other than that he is famous and quotable. But Donald Trump did become president, and so here we are. As a candidate, Trump offered Republicans the taste of the celebrity status that Ronald Reagan had given them, something normally reserved for Democrats. That's what attracted Sam Nunberg, the 38-year-old political advisor who toiled on Trump's warm-up attempts at a presidential runs and on the real presidential deal until he lost a war with Trump campaign manager Corey Lewandowski and was fired in the summer of 2015. Nunberg says Lewandowski saw to it that old racist posts on his Facebook page surfaced. 
He later apologized for those posts. And though Nunberg readily says that Trump screwed him, he claims he'd vote for him again in 2020 because Trump has delivered on Republican policies and judicial nominations. I knew our campaign wasn't doing well when I went into our restaurant after he announced, Nunberg said. The TV was on CNN, and he was on, and people were watching. These were people who normally wouldn't give a S-word, but they were watching him. Trump wasn't just another politician doing a TV hit. He was an American mogul, an entertainer, Nunberg said. And he wasn't rich from making microchips or selling stocks. It was from building, construction. It was this image of success, of him being rich and he can make you rich. We were the WWE, Fox News version of the Obama campaign in the beginning, and I mean that as a compliment. It was aspirational. It was, we can fight the system. Nunberg was raised on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and nurtured on conservative talk radios, strident support for Israel and suspicion of the Middle East. After volunteering for Mitt Romney's 2008 campaign, he worked for right-wing lawyer Jay Sekulow during the 2010 fight to prevent the construction of a mosque near Ground Zero, the site of 9-11. He says Trump wrote a BS letter at the time offering to buy the land where the mosque was to be built, but the offer was just a PR stunt. Nunberg's parents were lawyers, and so he became one too. His father had worked for a law firm that Trump and his father had used for real estate deals. But Nunberg didn't meet Trump in person until he was introduced to him in 2010 by yet another Gotham City character, Roger Stone, the villain with the Richard Nixon tattoo on his back. I wanted to win a national election and thought Trump could win, Nunberg says of his eagerness to sign on. I thought it was cool that Obama went on the late night shows. I thought the John McCain ad showing Obama speaking to millions of people and showing Paris Hilton slamming him as a Hollywood celebrity was the dumbest effing thing I'd ever seen. He all but screamed at the time, you just won him millions of votes. Nunberg thought his party was living in the 1950s. And though Trump was his own version of the madman era, to Nunberg, he was a madman for the 21st century. He and Trump shared a sensibility. He likens to a retired New York City firefighter or cop who mainlines Fox News, plus Rush Limbaugh and Mike Levin on talk radio, and thinks to himself, this country has gone to crap, and we need a guy in the White House who's willing to punch a few holes in the wall. It's Joanne Reed's book, The Man Who Sold America. Don in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Don, what's up? Yeah, hey, Tom. I have a little uh, COVID-19 status from the Seattle area, if you're interested. Okay, sure. Um, we live in Woodenville, which is the uh, suburb immediately adjacent to Kirkland, which uh -huh. is, you might have heard on the news. Which is where all anyway, the deaths my, are happening, my, yeah. Yeah. My wife works in the North Shore School District in the area and what they are doing is they decided to close all the north shore schools for up to 14 days but at the same time they're implementing a, a new online learning program so mm. the schools are going to be physically closed but they're going to try to maintain education programs through uh, an online right and there's two program. good reasons for that one you don't want the kids to fall behind and two your federal funding and in some cases your state funding starts dropping off if your kids miss a certain number of days of school and maybe they can get an exception and have online learning be be part of that or maybe it's already built into the law yeah a fascinating yeah, stuff I haven't tried it before it'll be interesting to see how it goes a secondary thing is I do grocery rescue you know picking up food from the grocery mm -hmm. stores here take it to the local um, food banks and the last couple of days, the donations have significantly dropped off, and the people at the stores have told me that everybody's just buying everything, so there's less right. available now to yeah. go to the food banks. Yeah, it's not, I don't think uh, it's so much people are hoarding food as they're, they're trying to get two or three weeks supplies in their houses, and I think that that's an entirely reasonable thing. Don, thanks. Thanks a lot for the update. I appreciate it. It's great to hear from you. Tim in Rohnert Park, California. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Yeah, my big concern is that the environmental touters like Tom Steyer and Jay Inslee haven't said a thing about backing Bernie Sanders, who has the best rating in all the environmental groups. And I would just plead for them to, you know, say something. We need to get that back in the conversation. Well, you can reach out to them. I mean, both of them, I'm sure Jay Inslee has a comment line. You know, you'd have to look it up, you know, state of Washington. It should be on their website. Okay. And who was the other person you were talking about? Tom oh, Steyer? Tom Steyer, yeah. He's got a website, needtoimpeach.com or org, I think. You can Google okay. it, you know. And, you know, there's got to be a way to reach out to them. But, you know, yeah, yeah, what we're looking at right now is 
the fate and future of the Democratic Party and the insiders versus the outsiders. Thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you, Tim. Noel in Corpus Christi, Texas. Hey, Noel, what's up? Hi, Tom. I got in. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for taking my call. You're wonderful. I appreciate you. I have a question about Medicare. I have to sign up this year. Mm-hmm. I understand from your discussions, am I understanding correctly? I, I don't want a supplemental because that can have no, you, you, Medigap. Medigap and supplementals are the same thing. What you don't want is Medicare ah. Advantage. Medicare Advantage is okay. privatized Medicare. A supplemental policy, also known as a Medigap policy, fills in that 20% hole that the Republicans, that was their price for allowing Lyndon Johnson to pass Medicare back in the 1960s, was there has to be, people have to have, quote, skin in the game. So, so you have to pay 20% of the cost. So you can buy a policy that fills in that 20% hole, and then you have real Medicare for the 80%, plus you have, you know, a, a, a corporate policy. But they're not terrible because they're heavily regulated by the federal government that fills in that 20%. The danger is getting a Medicare Advantage plan because those plans are full of loopholes and full of gotchas and full of we will dump you if you start getting really seriously sick. Noel, thanks for the call and good luck. (laughs) Good luck. But in the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag your it and support your progressive media. Tell your friends how to find it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 